that your Holy Spirit was here in a real way last week on Pentecost Sunday, but your Holy Spirit is also here in a real way this week as well. Father, as we think about Memorial Day, as we think about time where we remember those who gave the last full measure of devotion for their nation, Father, as we think about their sacrifice, God, we thank you that we are called to follow the man who made the greatest sacrifice in the history of this world. We're called to follow Jesus Christ. And we are called to love sacrificially and to live sacrificially, God. We are called to give of ourselves. And Lord, we know in our flesh that is just not possible, but through your spirit, God, all things are possible. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to learn things today that would move us a little closer to being able to live like Jesus. God, I pray that if we came in here discouraged today, that we will leave encouraged. God, that if there's something on our heart, if there's something in our mind, if there's something that's in our life right now that is a struggle and, and is bringing us down, God, that you would remind us today that you are greater than anything that's within this world. Speak that truth to us today, God. Help us to rest in you and to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, to rest in who you are. God, we love you so much today. We praise you for Jesus. We praise you for his work on the cross. We praise you for the reality that we can be filled with your Holy Spirit. Fill us more and more, God, we pray. Help us to spill out into this world. Help us to spill into our communities, God, our, our schools, our businesses, God, our homes. Lord, we just pray that everything would get caught up in the overflow. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus because he's the one that loved us enough to give himself for us. And Rushwood said together, amen. You may be seated this morning, church. Thank you so much for, for being here today. Today I am finishing up our sermon series, Paul, the Apostle of Christ. And uh, this is my second to last Sunday before I go on sabbatical. And I will talk to you a little bit more next week about sabbatical. And uh, I've had several people come to me and, and say, we hope you have a good long vacation. And uh, that's not what sabbatical is, and so I'm going to explain that. Although I am taking a week of vacation at the beginning of it, uh, I'll talk to you more about that next week. So this will be, next week will be my last week here with you for just a little while so that I, I can go and get direction and get refreshed and, and be ready for what God has for the future of this church. And so we want you to be praying for uh, Pastor Blake will be preaching during my sabbatical. Uh, Pastor Jason Baker will be preaching, and then if everything goes according to plan, we're going to have a youth Sunday the week before I come back. And so just be in prayer for that. Uh, Satan would like to use this as an opportunity to tear things down, but we know he's already defeated. We know that every weapon that's formed against us will not prosper, and we know that God has a greater plan for us during this time. And so when I come back off of this six weeks, I expect to see more people here, new people here. I expect to see this place just rocking, okay? So make sure then, but that's up to you. So make sure that that happens, largely up to you anyway. Um, last week we had lots of folks, and it really touched my heart that we had lots of folks in both services come to the front and say they either needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit or they needed a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. 
And I made the comment to some of, or in the sermon last week, that maybe some of you grew up in churches that didn't talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, but God has you here for a reason now, and so that's that we can teach you about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to say that those of you who came up front uh, to ask for God to do something special in your life, to fill you or refill you with His Holy Spirit, um, if you got something last week, we have an enemy out there. We have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to steal whatever you got last week. I don't know if last Sunday, if God did something special in your life, I almost guarantee you that this past week you had something that, that came against you, something that tried to tear you down, something that tried to steal your joy. Just be prepared for that, be ready for that, but know that Satan is already a defeated foe, and so uh, he is not going to overcome. Any weapon formed against you is not going to prosper. But one of the greatest ways that Satan would like to come against you and me and all of us is to discourage us, to discourage us. It's one of Satan's absolute greatest weapons that he has in his arsenal is the, the assault of the attack of discouragement. You know, truth shows up in some curious places in this world. And I believe above all that the truth is found in the person of Jesus Christ I believe He is the truth. He is the perfect truth. He is God's Word spoken, and so I believe that truth is found in Him. I believe that truth is found in God's Word, in the Bible. I believe that it is perfect, that it is completely true from beginning to end. There are churches out there now that teach that the Bible contains God's truth. It is not God's truth from beginning to end. I believe it's God's truth from beginning to end. That doesn't mean I understand every part of it. That doesn't mean that every part is easy for me. I just accept that it's true on faith. I believe that it is true. Um, but truth also shows up in other places in this world. And I believe one of the places that God actually seeds some truth, maybe little seeds of grace in different cultures, is in the stories that we tell ourselves as a culture. Some of our famous stories, if you look at them very carefully, there's a lot of gospel truth in them. There's a lot of biblical truth. Even though they may not have even been written by Christians, I believe that God has allowed truth to show up in different places. And one of the stories that we often, I think everybody in this room probably knows about, is the story of the Wizard of Oz. How many of you have ever watched The Wizard of Oz, ever watched that movie? Okay, that's like every hand. How many of you have watched it like five times? How many of you have watched it like more than ten times? Anybody? I probably have. I probably have watched it that many times. But one of the characters that's really important in that movie and in that story is a guy named the Tin Man. Everybody remember the Tin Man? Silver guy that they encounter as they're going along the yellow brick road. And in the story, or in the movie, actually, the Tin Man tells the Scarecrow and Dorothy that he has a problem. What's his problem? If he only had a heart, yeah, if he just had a heart, everything would, would be all right. And he says in the story that the tinsmith forgot, in the movie, it says that the tinsmith forgot my heart. Well, that's not the full story. That's not the full backstory. If you've ever read Frank L. Baum's book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, the, the backstory is a lot darker than the movie allows into it. If you, if you read that story, it talks about uh, the tin man was originally a woodsman. He worked with an axe, chopping down trees, building houses, building, building cabins, that sort of thing. And he, he lived in the woods, worked in the woods, and so he originally started out as a woodsman. 
But in the story, there's a witch that comes into the story, and I'm not going to go into all the background on that, but she curses his axe so that when he's trying to chop these trees, it actually is going to miss its mark and come back around and hit the woodsman. And so that curse is placed on that. And as he's doing his work, he's chopping trees, and the axe misses its mark and comes back, and first it hits him in the arm. And so he goes to the tinsmith, and the tinsmith makes him basically what we would call a robotic arm and replaces his arm with that. And then as he continues to work, he's even stronger now because he has that arm. He, he hits the other arm, and that arm has to be replaced. And it goes on like that. Even his head has to be replaced. I mean, again, this is a story. But he eventually, there's only one part of him that's flesh. There's only one part of him that's human, and that's his chest. And the axe misses its mark, it comes back and it strikes the woodsman in the chest and he's mortally wounded, but he gets to the tinsmith and the tinsmith is able to repair everything, but the tinsmith tells him, I don't have the ability, I'm not good enough to make you a new heart. And so you're going to have to live without a heart. And that's the background story that the movie never told you about because probably little kids never, of course, I don't know, those flying monkeys were pretty scary, but I don't know if little kids could have ever watched it if it had all that in there. Why would I tell you that story? Actually, the word discouragement, to discourage, it has two parts to it. It has the prefix dis, which means to move away from, and it has the word courage in there, actually from the Latin, C-O-R-A-G-E, actually means your center, your core, or your heart. So really, literally, what discourage means is to be moved away from your heart, to be moved away from the center of who you are, to be moved away from the core of your very being. That's what discouragement is all about. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, in kind of the center section of Ephesians chapter 3, he has a concern. Those that are reading his letter, he is concerned that they might fall into discouragement. Because in that story of the tin man, it's very true. Satan often does that to us. He will wound us and wound us and wound us, and he continues to attack us and continues to bring things into our life that come against us until he finally hits his mark and what he really wants to damage more than anything else is your heart. Paul is concerned that those who are reading uh, his letter to the Ephesians will become discouraged because of his situation. You see, Paul, the great apostle, is in, he's a prisoner. He's been in prison probably in Rome. He's probably under house arrest. And so he can't go anywhere. He's probably chained, as far as we can tell by history, he's probably chained to a guard all day long. He's awaiting trial. And so one of three things is going to happen to Paul. Either they're just going to keep him under house arrest for the rest of his life and he's going to die in that condition, or they're going to release him and set him free, which we know from history and from the biblical account that is what eventually happened. He was set free for a little while to carry the gospel, and a lot of people believe he made it all the way to Spain with the gospel before he lost his life. But they didn't know that. His readers didn't know that was what was going to happen. And the other option that might have happened was that he was going to be found guilty of treason against the Roman Empire, and he was going to lose his life, which eventually did happen, but not at this point. So this guy is their coach. This guy is their greatest cheerleader. This guy is their hero. He's probably the most famous, most important Christian in the world at this time, and he's imprisoned. They don't know what's going to happen to him. They don't know what's going to fall out in the end. And so Paul is very concerned that his readers might become discouraged because of him, because of what he is going through. 
Let me give you the NIV version. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13, what Paul says here. He says to the Ephesian church, writes to the Ephesian church, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Or if we read it from the NASB version, it translates this way. For I ask you not to lose heart. Not to lose heart. Have you ever been in a season of discouragement? Have you ever been in a time? And, I, and look, here's, here's how it works with discouragement. Either you've just come through a season, season of discouragement, or you're in a season of discouragement, or you're going to be in a season of discouragement. But as human beings, it's part of life. It's part of the attacks that the enemy brings against us. If you haven't gone through a season of discouragement, just wait. It's coming your way. And if you've already been through one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're in one right now, you really are going to understand what I'm talking about this morning. It's kind of ironic that I'm preaching this. I have been in about a two-year, one-and-a-half to two-year season of intense discouragement in my life. It seemed like Satan just opened up. He said, all right, you see Brent? You see Rushwood Church? You see what's going on there? It's like he said to his armies, his wicked armies, I want you to take everything in your arsenal, and I want you to just unload on them. I want you to throw everything at them, including the kitchen sink. I want you to just bomb them. I want you to just strafe them. I want you to just decimate them and see if they can survive it. And I, and, and I believe God has been good, and I believe I've come through, and I believe you've come through, but it feels like Satan just did everything to discourage us. And I have been in a season of intense discouragement for about one and a half to two years. And praise God, he's starting to bring me out of it. And I really believe after six weeks of sabbatical, I'm going to be fully out of it. And Satan, I'm just going to say, he should have killed me. He should have gotten rid of me when he had the chance. But he didn't do that. He left me around. He couldn't get the job done. And God has more for me, and he has more for you. And so he's in trouble now. But, man, it, it, it really literally feels, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in some parts, in some weeks, some days, for a long time, it felt like I was living with a hole in my chest. It felt like I was living without a heart. I was living completely from my head, but, but no emotions, no feelings. I knew it was bad one day when I was going down 64, because that's all we do in, in Ashboro. We either go down 64 or we go down Fayetteville Street. But anyway, I was going down 64, and there was a car like my uncle's that was beside of me. And uh, I, I don't know. My wife says I worry about things way too much like this, but I always worry that if I see somebody... They might have seen me, and if I don't make an effort to speak to them, then they're going to think I'm mad at them or I'm stuck up or something like that. So I always, almost always try to make an effort, except sometimes in Walmart. I'll try to breeze right on by. But anyway, uh, I try to speak to somebody if I see them because I'm worried they saw me and I'm going to, you know, they're going to think I'm stuck up or I'm mad at them or something. So anyway, see a vehicle just like my uncle's, and I'm trying to kind of wave and I never got to see if it was my uncle or not because when I looked back, the car, there was a car in front of me that had just stopped completely short in the middle of the road. I had to lock up brakes. I came so close to rear-ending this person. And I knew that my heart, something had, was going on with my heart that was not normal because I had almost no emotional reaction. It was like I said, oh, wow, I was just about in a wreck. Look at that. And my pulse didn't elevate, nothing. It was just like there was nothing there. It was just like I was hollow, and I thought, wow, I'm going through something 
something that needs to change here because I must be living away from my heart. If you've been in a season of discouragement, I don't have to explain a lot more to you, do I? You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like you just get up and you just go through the day and you just keep moving forward, but there's no emotion there, there's no heart there. Well, the Apostle Paul doesn't want these readers of his to get discouraged on his behalf. So he gives three things that we can do. You knew it was going to be a three-point sermon, didn't you? I'm going to give you three things. He gives three things that we can do to keep us moving forward in the midst of discouragement. And the title of my sermon, by the way, this morning is Don't Be Discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't live away from your heart. Stay in your heart. Come back to your heart. That's what God wants for all of us. The first thing that we can do that will help us when we're in a season of discouragement or when Satan is trying to bring discouragement against us, the first thing we can do is we need to remember how far God has brought us. Remember how far God has brought you. Remember where you started from. Because, see, a lot of times we're looking at the destination, and the destination seems really, really far off, and it seems like we're never going to get there. And we still have some of the same struggles that we had five or ten years ago, and we wish those struggles would be gone. And, and we, we've got this goal in front of us, and it just seems like we're never going to reach the goal. But we forget sometimes to turn around and look where we came from. Look where God brought you from. I mean, think about when you first started walking with Jesus Christ, when you first gave your life to Him, when you first decided, I'm going to be a Christian and I'm going to walk with Jesus. Think about where you were then and think about where you are now. Praise God we're not back there anymore. Praise God we're not like we used to be. I I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. I I changed it up just a little bit. I just love this quote. He says, He he said we, but I'm going to put it in a personal term and say I. I ain't what I ought to be. I ain't what I want to be. I ain't what I'm going to be, but thank God I ain't what I was. How many of you can say that? Thank God I'm not what I used to be when I started walking with Jesus. He's brought me a long way. Yeah, there's still a long way to go to glory. There's a long way to go till I've arrived. There's a long way. Even the Apostle Paul said it's not like I've arrived yet. Long way to go, but man, I've come a long way. I've grown a long way. I heard uh, Jensen Franklin, I was listening to his sermon this week, and he put it this way. He said, you're doing better than you think you're doing. You're doing better than you think you are. You think you're failing, you think you're falling down, but God, you're doing better than you think you are because God's Spirit is working in you and He's still moving you forward. Don't be discouraged. There's more out there for you. There's better out there for you. Keep moving forward, but remember, God has brought us a long way. The Apostle Paul said, that he was the least of all the saints. That's how he saw himself. And I know that the Apostle Paul was probably thinking about how he persecuted the church and he tried to destroy Christianity. I know that's what he was thinking about when he called himself the least of all the saints. He may have been the least of all the saints, but God had the greatest calling in the world on his life to take the good news about Jesus Christ to everybody. The least of all the saints. He, I, Paul could look back and say, oh, I remember when I was doing that. Oh, I remember when I was chasing those Christians down and dragging them out of houses and helping to murder some of them. I I remember that, and I know Paul just hated that life that he had before, but he could say, God has brought me a long way. I'm not back there where I used to be. Now, Now I've gone from being a murderer to being a missionary. I've gone from being a blasphemer to being a blessing. I've gone from being one who was bound for hell to one that has eternal life. God had brought Paul a long way, and he's brought you a long way too. 
He's brought me a long way too. If we're walking with Jesus, don't think about how far the road is ahead. Remember how far God has brought you to get you to this point. Somebody give God some praise. I mean, come on, y'all. So that's the first thing. Remember how far you've come. Remember how far you've come. That'll help with discouragement if we remember how far we've come. The second thing we need to do is we need to remember how wise God is. Remember how wise God is. Isn't it something? Of everything in the universe, of every animal, of every star, of every pulsar and quasar and planet and black hole and everything in the universe, out of everything in the universe, there's only two things that dare to question God. And that's fallen angels or demons, Satan, that, that sort of realm, and human beings. Outside of that, nothing dares to question God. Everything, the stars in the sky are declaring His praises. The, the, the heavens are declaring His handiwork. Everything's praising God. But we, just made of dust, all we are is animated dust, and yet we choose to question God sometimes. And we forget how wise He is. And we drive ourselves crazy with the question, why? Why, God, did you allow that? Why did this come into, come into my life? We've, we've got friends in Texas who uh, ministers, and their 16-year-old son is at the point of death with cancer. Just, uh, just got saved, filled with the Spirit, on fire for God, going out and preaching in the streets. Just this young man, 16 years old, a, a, a football star, everything, lit on fire for God. And all of a sudden they discover a tumor and it's an aggressive type of cancer. It's already paralyzed him from the waist down. It's doing ravages on his body and they don't, they've given him a 10% chance to live. And this minister and his family... I know they're tempted to question, and they even have said this online. We don't know why God has allowed this. We don't know why that our son was so on fire for God, and now God has allowed this cancer to come into his life. Not saying he caused it, but he allowed it. Why did God do that? We drive ourselves crazy sometimes with the question why. And I'm not saying this family is doing this. This family has immense faith. But we can drive ourselves crazy with that question. It would do us good to remember God is all-wise. He's all-knowing. We're seeing it from the ground. He's seeing it from 10,000 feet up. He knows what's going on. He sees the future before we get there. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God is wise. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul teaches that we get this, y'all. This is deep. This is something you don't always get. So get this while, I, while we're going through this because this is some deep stuff here. Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 3 that we, the church, are being used by God to teach the wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Let me unpack for you what that means. Most theologians will say that reference to heavenly places doesn't just mean in heaven. It means all the spiritual realms. So that would be angels, that would be demons, that would be everything looking on, it would be Satan himself. Everything is being taught by the church the manifold or the many-faceted wisdom of God. So here's what that means. You say, well, Brent, what in the world did you just say? What does that mean? It means that while we're looking at our life and we're questioning God, and we're saying, God, why in the world would you allow this? 
Why in the world, God, would you allow my family to go through this? Why would you allow me to lose that job or not be able to find that job? Or, or, or God, why would you let sickness come into our family? Or, or, God, why would you let marital strife come into their family? God, why would you allow all this? While we're questioning, angels and demons are looking on and saying, Oh, man, God is wise. God is so wise. Look what God's doing. I imagine one angel calls the other one over to the side of heaven and says, Hey, look down there at that person. Look, you know, that one that goes to Rushwood. Yeah, look at that person right there. Come here and look what... Look, God is allowing this tough time in their life right now because He knows He has to strengthen them for what's coming up. Man, God is wise. Or, or they maybe calls him over and says, look, God is allowing a time of plenty right now in this family because he knows that there's going to be a time of famine and God is helping them get ready for the famine and they're stocking up and they're getting everything ready because this is about to hit. Man, isn't God wise? While we're questioning God, there are angels, there are demons, there are heavenly beings, there are spiritual beings looking on at your life. Get this, your very life and in, in your life they're seeing the wisdom of God. They're seeing that He has a plan. They're seeing that He's all-knowing. They're seeing that He's working all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So while we're sitting here and we're crying and we're complaining and, you know, and we're, we're doubting, they're looking on and they're saying, Wow, God is so good. Wow, God is so wise. Look at what He's doing. Look at how He's working all things out. God is amazing. We have to remember when we get into times of depression, when we get into times of discouragement, God is wise. God is wise. He knows what He's doing. We may not know what He's doing because we're just animated dust. The very smartest of us, we're just animated dust. But He is God, and He knows what He's doing, and He's working all things out for us. So take heart. There are thousands upon thousands of beings who are looking down at your life, and they're saying, man, God is good. Even the ones who don't like God, even the ones who rebelled against Him, they're having to look on and say, I hate to admit it, but God is good. God is good. He's working all things out for those that love Him. That would be another good place to give God some praise because He's doing that in your life. Let's do it. Give God some praise this morning. Man, God is, God is listen to me. If we're getting out of the way enough, God is perfectly writing our story. He's perfectly writing my story. He's perfectly writing your story. The only thing that holds that back is when we get in the way. The only thing that holds that back is when we don't submit to Him. Number three, when you're discouraged, remember that faith is always rewarded in the end. Amen. Faith is always rewarded in the end. God is going to reward your faith. No matter what it looks like right now, no matter what happens on this earth or in this lifetime, faith is always going to be rewarded in the end. Last summer, I was, like I told you, year and a half, two years I've been in this time of discouragement. And, uh, man, God has, though, and I just praise God for people that He brought into my life. Some of you guys, there have been things that you guys did that even when I was just broken and just so discouraged, you didn't even know it. But some of you all did things for me and did things for my family that brought encouragement to me, that helped me keep going. I praise God for those people that He brought into my life. And I, I praise God for, and I'll be honest with you, I was so discouraged at one point. I love listening to worship music. I love listening to sermons of other pastors. I didn't want to hear any worship music. 
I didn't want to listen to any sermons. I, I, I didn't want any part of it for a while. But in the middle of this, and this was last summer, our church several times, the leadership of our church went to a thing called the Insight Conference over in New Hope Church in Durham. And I was like, oh, great. Yeah, let's go, let's go and, and be part of this, you know, eight to 10,000 person church. It's just rolling and everything's good for them. And yeah, that's where I want to be right now. Okay, thanks, God. I got to go to this. Didn't want to go to this thing at all. But anyway, I had to. And so I went. And they had three pastors that were going to speak to us. One of them is Derwin Gray. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Derwin Gray. If you've never heard this dude, you ought to look him up and check him out. He's awesome. He used to be a Carolina Panther. He played for the Carolina Panthers. Big, built dude. Uh, but now he's back in Charlotte, and he has a church of about 12,000 people in Charlotte. And he was so humble, though, as he talked to us. He said, you're all impressed that I have a church of 12,000 people. He said, if you had a church in a fast-growing suburb of a fast-growing city like I do, your church would be 12,000 people too. He said, that, that's just a pimple on an elephant's rear end when it comes to reaching people. He was so humble. You ought to check the guy out. You'd love this guy's preaching. But anyway, he's over there, and he's, uh, he's doing amazing work. And so he spoke to us. And uh, then we were going to have Perry Noble. And some of you may have heard of Perry Noble before. He, has, he had a church of 25,000 people in South Carolina that was one of the fastest growing churches in America and he lost his church and we won't get into all that sort of thing but anyway this was after he lost his church and they brought him in to speak to us at this conference and did I tell you Derwin Gray was an amazing speaker Derwin Gray was an amazing speaker I won't get into Perry Noble uh, I'll be kind this morning uh, did, did not do a lot for my spirit but then they had a guy named Keith Loy and I thought Keith Loy I remember Keith Loy when I was a kid, when I was a youth and youth conferences, Keith Loy was one of the main speakers. And I thought, man, nobody is coming to this conference to hear Keith Loy. Everybody's coming to hear Derwin Gray and to be excited and moved by him. And everybody's coming to hear Perry Noble and hear him kind of talk about the fallout and all that sort of thing. And nobody was coming to hear Keith Loy. And I thought, I'm just amazed that I, I even wondered if maybe they had like somebody who canceled and they put Keith Loy in his place, you know, because this guy's been around forever. Didn't remember him being that dynamic or anything like that. And so they introduced uh, Derwin Gray and said, you know, 12,000 person church. And then they in introduced Perry Noble who built a 25,000 person church. And then when they referred to Keith Loy, they said, and he has a fairly large church in the Midwest, and if you looked it up, I think his church is about 4,000 people, which is a huge church to us, but to them, it's kind of like, yeah, he's kind of a little guy. And so nobody was excited about this dude, and then, you know, I wasn't excited about this guy. I heard him before. But anyway, Perry Noble gets up, and he's the last speaker. I don't know why it's the last of conferences tends to be really good, but he's the last speaker, and he gets up, and it, the thing that impressed me so much was, again, his humility. He got up and he prayed and he said, God protect these people from Keith Loy. Help me not to say anything that would dishonor you. Help me not to say anything today that would be about Keith, God, and not for your glory. And he just, that was his prayer. And I thought, wow, this guy, there's, there's something different. There's something different about him. And he got up and he started talking. He said, I want to share with you about the worst day of my life. The worst day of my life. He said, I want to tell you about the worst day of my life. It was the day that my wife and I got on a borrowed small airplane 
and flew across country with my 15-year-old daughter for the purpose of dropping her off at a drug rehabilitation center. And he said, we went with her knowing that we were going to come back without her. And we were going to leave her there, my 15-year-old daughter. Here I am, the pastor of a large church in the Midwest, conference speaker, all this, about to take my daughter who's addicted to drugs, and we're about to drop her off, and we're going to leave her, and we're just going to pray that God does something in this drug rehabilitation center. He talked about he, how he and his wife got back on the airplane and a friend had let them borrow a small aircraft and flew back across the country back to their hometown. And he said, when we got home, we fell on the floor and we cried and we wept until there wasn't a tear left in our body. He said, we were just brokenhearted. He compared it to David when King David came back from battle and he found that the Philistines had raided his camp and had stolen he and his, he and his men, all their wives and all their children, and all of them. And the Bible talks about how David fell down and how he cried out. And Keith Loy compared it to that. He said, we cried until we could not cry anymore. We, we cried until there was not a tear drop left in our body. He said, but just like David in that scripture, I knew I had to. And he said, I didn't want to, but I encouraged myself in the Lord. I, too, I prayed, I sought God's face, I sought his strength. He said, and I rose up and I put my faith in God and I believed that God would do something for us. And so he talked about his prayer life. He talked about going into church and how there were times he would go into church and it just felt like he, he was empty, like there was no heart in his chest, like he didn't have a heart for ministry or heart to pray because his heart was across the country, his daughter 15 years old at this drug rehabilitation center. And so he, he shared all that with us. And so then at the end, they called the worship team out. And if you've ever been to New Hope Church in Durham, I think they got like, I'm, I'm exaggerating here for effect, but it seems like they got like 20 or 30 worship teams. I've never been to the place and seen the same, outside of their worship leader, I've never seen the same person twice uh, as far as singing goes. And so, anyway, they, he said, I'm going to call at the end of his sermon, Keith Loy said, I'm going to bring the musicians back out. And they sang the song that we're about to sing to close this service. And uh, there was a, a girl that was on the piano, young lady who, man, just a beautiful voice, just a beautiful person. You could just tell she was radiating with God's presence as she was singing this song. And they sang this song about it being well with my soul, even in the storms, even in everything else, God getting us through and it being well with our soul. And so she did just a great job. And then Keith stepped back up to the front and he said, the worst day of my life was when I boarded a small airplane with my wife and we flew my daughter to a drug rehabilitation center across the nation. He said, but one of my, the best days of my life was yesterday. He said, because I got on another airplane and I got on an airplane to come to this conference. And he said, my daughter was with me again. And he said, in fact, my daughter was the girl who just led you in that song. It, it was... I, I can't tell it as powerful as it was to be there and to see that. And she came up and he put his arm around her and he said, I, I love you, darling. I, I love uh, what God is doing in you. And he just praised her for that. 
But he talked about how his faith was rewarded in the end. That his daughter was freed from her addiction, that she came back to the Lord Jesus, that she was serving him again. And it was just a powerful moment, powerful moment, a moment that just really encouraged me. And I hope that I've shared it this morning. It encouraged you. But I'm here to tell this morning to tell you that your faith will be rewarded in the end. You just have to hold on to your faith. You have to hold on. In the middle of discouragement, in the middle of Satan trying to move you away from your heart, don't give up. Hold on to your faith. No matter what happens, no matter how bad you feel, no matter how many days you want to just throw in the towel, I can't tell you, over a year and a half, man, I was thinking about, man, I'm going to start writing books. I'm going to go be a Christian college professor. I was ready to throw in the towel so many times, and most of you guys never even knew it. But in that season of discouragement, God would bring people to encourage me and he would bring faith and I would, I would be restored and I would come back to faith. And I believe that my faith is going to be rewarded in the end. I believe that God wants to continue to use me powerfully as a minister. I believe he wants to use you powerfully as a congregation. I really believe that our faith is going to be rewarded in the end. And I'm here to tell you this morning, and whatever you're going through, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your marriage is not good. I believe that God's wanting to bring it back together, and He can do that because He's God. If you'll submit to Him, He can do that. He can restore your marriage. Maybe some of you are struggling with your mental health. Man, such a real thing. A lot of times we don't talk about that in church. We put on masks and we pretend everything is okay. But maybe you're struggling with your mental health. Maybe you're struggling with depression or anxiety. I believe God wants to get you through that. Maybe it's your children. Maybe you've got a prodigal in your family. Maybe you've got somebody who has gone off and just, just broken your heart and done things you never thought they would do. And you're trying to hold on to faith and some days you just want to throw in the towel and you want to get up, give up. I'm here to tell you this morning that God's going to reward your faith in the end. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't let Satan win. Don't let him take you out of your heart. Be encouraged. Come back into your heart. Believe that God is good. Believe that God is wise. Remember how far he's brought you. The children of Israel, after they crossed over the Jordan River, they set up 12 stones of remembrance to remember what God had done. Remember, bring your stones with you. Bring your, your victories with you that God has helped you win. Remember those things that God has done for you. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Keep moving forward. That's better for you than you've seen yet. He has more out there for you. This is not the end of the story. We're going to end this way this morning. Uh, the worship team is going to come and they're going to sing that song that I was talking about. And if you feel like staying right where you are and praying to God and seeking Him and even proclaiming that it is well with my soul, you're welcome to stay right where you are. If you want to get a little closer to the flame and you want to come up here and you want to end this service right here, singing and praising God and proclaiming that it is well with my soul, you're welcome to come right here. If you need to stand up in the pew and proclaim it to the top of your lungs, you can do that as well. Whatever, let's be led by the Holy Spirit here. Let's let God lead us, but do not be discouraged. Don't give up. God is still on the throne. He's still working. He still has better things ahead for you than what's behind. Don't let Satan take your heart away. Stand up this morning. Let's sing together. The front is open. Come and sing with us if you want to.
you want to sing from right there, it's fine. But let's sing together.
Father, we give you thanks that even when our eyes can't see, we still can see by faith. We still can believe that you are good, you are wise, that you are working on our behalf. God, help us not to be discouraged. Help us to guard our hearts. We know that it's the wellspring of life, and we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would guard our heart, you would guard our faith, God. Help us not to give up, but help us to move forward in you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we ask this morning, God, that those who came here to the front, or even maybe those who didn't step forward, but were feeling it, God, that whatever their situation is, whatever their discouragement is, God, help them to take heart and to know that you have overcome the world. We praise you today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Church, I love you. There's nothing you can do about that. On the way out, remember our giving boxes can help us to continue this ministry to reach more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're dismissed. Have a great week.